Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pet Cemetery is not the best horror movie. It is not the best Stephen King movie. And it's not the best 80s movie. It is... Desperately in need of a remake. This is 80s Movie Guide. A guide to what's wrong with your parents. I'm Riley Roberts. And I'm Tara McNamara. Pet Cemetery from 1989 is about a family that moves to Maine and lives near a highway uh, that kills the family cat. and but, but not for long. Because then there's this whole other place in a forest that you can bury animals. And then they realize those animals also come back from the dead. <laughs> uh they have remade the movie. Um, we just saw the remake, and... It was a million times better. It's a million times better. Yeah, it definitely, I think, this is this is what I want you to know about the 80s and Pet Cemetery is that Stephen King was real hit or miss, okay? <laughs> the Stephen King movies... So, first of all, the Stephen King books in the 80s were like Harry Potter books as far as the anticipation for them to come out. And everyone was reading them. Not kids so much, although they were. I mean, I was a teenager, and teens were reading the Stephen King books. Um, But they were, and so people were consuming those books, and and he had a huge fan base. And, um, And so with Carrie and and Cujo and Christine, these movies in the early 80s, um, in, in it, you know, like they, they were doing well. Um, but then I don't know, they weren't all good, you know? And by the time they got to pet cemetery, I'm like half of the time it felt like, it felt like the whole Victor Pascal, uh, the kid who gets hit by the truck in the beginning, it felt like he was almost there for comic relief. It was weird. Like this is a movie about kids dying. Yeah, it was, I, I didn't really understand it that much and it wasn't scary. Like period. Like, no, at all. it, it wasn't, wasn't scary. It wasn't scary. Um, so yeah. And I, I think a big difference. So one thing having seen the new movie, uh, is it's a million times scarier. Like you said, it yeah. starts out scary, which is nice. Instead of it kind of setting you up with like, Oh, here's a happy family. And they're moving in. It starts in with like creepy music slowly coming in <laughs> to the, to the car door that's open and bloody. And you're like, Oh, the only thing in similarity, scary wise is how fast the buses on the highway move past so that you get scared at like your jolt or whatever. That's the only same like scariness. Right. So they uh, they really change up. We're going to we're going to start out with no spoilers and then if we go to spoilers, we're going to let you know we're going to try to restrain <laughs> ourselves, okay? But yeah, like they they change it up. But what I love about the remake is that they play with your expectation. Um, they, the, the filmmakers know you saw Pet Cemetery. They know you saw the 1989 version and they mess with your brain because of it. And that makes it even more suspenseful. So one thing I'll tell you without spoiling anything is that the whole movie, you're holding your breath, worried about baby gauge. 
the whole movie. You feel so, I thought that was amazing how protective you as an audience member feel for Gage. Yeah. There's something I have to point out about both films. And they did make some adjustments, I thought, for the way people enter, you know, the, the way people think now versus the way they might have thought parents might have behaved in 1989. For instance, the pet cemetery is discovered because uh, Ellie goes and finds, like, she stumbles upon it instead of the mother. And then the focus is the mom, and that's where they meet Judd. Well, and, yeah. and the mom's like, yeah, okay, hi, creepy guy talking to my daughter. Um, oh, yeah, she didn't do anything about that. I mean, it seemed like she kind of was like, uh, like, I mean, at least in the remake, she was kind of like, uh, let's not talk to this guy, but, it's, but like, being kind about it. Like, you're being polite, like, okay, Mr. Neighbor, this is super weird, you're in a cemetery with my daughter, and I'm just gonna ease her out of here before you hurt us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but, here is what they didn't do. Uh, okay, my question for both, and I read the book, but I did read the book in the 80s, so I haven't read it recently. Um, okay, so I'm guessing that they bought the house without having seen it. They bought it, like, online or something, because people do that now when they're moving. Sometimes they work with a realtor, and the realtor will show them photos, and they'll buy it without having actually been there and toured it, which seems stupid. That's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like that was the case in both of these films. And then, okay, you don't move your toddler who doesn't follow directions well to a, a house on a highway, okay? Mm-hmm. Without and you, you first if you did day one, you're building the fence. You're like, hey, husband, I know you have to start this job. You're gonna have to hire someone because no way am I moving our you know twenty month year old to a house with no fence, <laughs> like with my highway. And the house, I, highway right I mean, there. when we when we moved to this house, uh, I mean, we there were several streets that we looked at um, at Prospect and Rosecrans, just so you know, um, and those are busier streets. And between our dog and who cannot does not know a command that he'll ever follow, <laughs> uh, and and Tate, who was the same age as Gage at that time, I was like, nope, nope. There's just too much risk uh, of that. So we're not doing that. Um, so I, and, and, you know, I've moved several times. That's always been like, is it on a cul-de-sac? Yeah. <laughs> is it on the end of the cul-de-sac? Then I'm game. Um, so I, I found that part really difficult to accept. I would just never move, first of all, again, not buying them online. Well, in the 80s, they can't buy the house online, by the way. Well, right. True. <laughs> but they might have been able, I know, they never explained it in the 1989, because I was like, I was wondering, in the remake, they say the realtor and they it, they bought the house, yeah. you know, and they learned they have the acreage. The first film, I don't recall them saying anything like that. So I thought maybe the university it was like university property, and maybe they like were giving it to him, or you not giving it to him, but like letting him live there, yeah. like, you know, or something, or being like, okay, we have this great house. It's you know, we'll give it to you at a reduced rate or something. Yeah, I my first red flag, just period, with houses is don't be somewhere so secluded. And empty with a house that looks like a barn. Like, like I would, I don't want to live outside, like, the city or civilization. Like, it seemed like all he had was Judd. Yeah. And then there, there seemed to be no one else around. Well, see, this, okay, number one, that's because that's your experience growing up. Okay. You've always lived in urban areas, right? And so... I know, but I wouldn't want to be secluded because... Then that's like a whole drive to my friend's house, which is where we lived in when we lived in Santa Clarita. Uh-huh. We lived on top of a hill, and it wasn't super secluded, but like 
to get places, it took a very long time. <laughs> it was just, and especially living in L.A., that's very uh, hard to deal with. Um, do you remember, though? So, you know, this takes place in Maine. Yeah. And your grandmother lives in Maine. And do you remember your grandmother's place? Yeah. It's secluded. Yeah, I don't like it. You have to drive a long time, and then you get to her property, and you still have to drive a long time to get to her house. That's just different, a different way of living. I know, and I don't get it. And you're, you're, <laughs> That's so creepy. Your Aunt Annette, who you just saw, has a, a similar situation. That's, she lives in Maine. No, That's- I know. I know. <laughs> I know. And I, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand people that are like that. <laughs> it's just a, it's just different it's than what you're used creepy. to. It's just creepy and, like, alone and lonely. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm too much of a scaredy cat to live. I need people who can hear me scream at all times. Um, yeah. And especially if my children are living there. Yeah. They're going to be so lonely. But, but, but see, the other way to look at that was that your kids have lots of room to play and explore the woods, which is something that, you know, uh, 80s parents in particular are like, oh, wouldn't that be so nice if our kids could play like we did and just go out and be gone for hours and explore nature instead of in the house on your iPhone and your computer watching Netflix. <laughs> Well, did yeah. that just get personal? Sorry. Well, um, I don't <laughs> well, also, I don't understand why a child has to be outside to play unless they're riding their bike or something. Well, I, you know, we, I think exactly. Okay, <laughs> you know, we want kids to be outside and play. It's good for them to run and be with nature and get some vitamin D and all that kind of stuff. Um, my other striking thought, and this goes for both films, is go with your gut. You know, like you do, we do have a gut instinct. This, you know, has some spirituality to it in the, more in the Native American sense, but, um, uh, you know, and so we have this gut instinct that, that tells us things. And yeah, but the dad's gut instinct was not good. The doctor... Yeah, well, he's a scientist, and so that's he's part of. I mean, he's he's a man of science. He's a doctor. Okay. Yes, that's fair. He's a he is a man of science, and so doctors and scientists and people and you know mathematicians they tend to only deal in facts, things that they can see, things that they can they they see as reason, and you and that plays into pet cemetery because he doesn't believe in an afterlife and he doesn't believe in, in any of that stuff. He thinks when you die, you die. And that's what people like that tend to think, you know? Um, and so, sorry, I heard a weird noise. I just Me thought too. I heard something really scary and creepy. It sounded like someone was yelling at names from downstairs. Like, Except no one's home. Except no one's home. <laughs> that's really creepy. It's not fun. It's literally probably someone outside. I I know. I hope so. Um, Yeah. Okay. Uh, The, uh, but yeah, so, so there's a strong gut feeling, you know, all along. Let's, we should, we should leave here. This was a mistake. We should go home. I don't like this energy. (laughs) Yeah. Our cat has already been killed. Like, let's. I mean, you can see where someone would be like, you're being ridiculous, you know, if you're like, the cat died, we're not moving back to Chicago, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, the grandparents play a lot smaller role in the second film, yeah. uh, which I liked because I thought they were super annoying in the 1989 version. Yeah. The other thing, um, I, I one thing I appreciate about the new version for, and what I thought was wrong with the first version is that I could not detect a relationship between Lewis and Rachel, um, between the parents, you know, yeah. they were, they had a real weird relationship. Like they had both have 
not a lot of emotion. She's like a chilly bitch, you know what yeah. I mean? In the first one. Yeah. And I, it's kind of hard to see why he wants to bring her back at the end. Cause I'm like, I didn't really feel like they even, even liked each other. I, I know they both were very stoic actors. And then I res- um, the actress who plays Rachel in the first one is Denise Crosby. Who's actually Bing Crosby's granddaughter. You probably have no idea who Bing Crosby is. No. Okay, so he was a famous singer and an actor in in many a classic film. So he was a, an entertainer people really know and is, um, you know, probably in your top 100 of all time. So what you're saying is that she got into the entertainment industry because of her father, and she has no actual talent. Oh, I don't know if I was saying that exactly, <laughs> but um, but she and she. But by the way, in her IMDb bio, they it mentions. Pet Cemetery is like part of the downside of her career and that it was like this, I think they called it corny or cheesy. I'm not sure. So in her, in her bio, they trash the 1989 Pet Cemetery. But what I didn't appreciate is the, um, so she has those icy blue eyes. And so as someone with blue eyes, um, I always resent when blue eyed women are either pictured because blue eyes can look like crazy eyes <laughs> in their own way yeah or like super bitch eyes you know and so whenever that that and that's kind of her face with the eyes kind of like projected that and mm-hmm. so as a blue-eyed woman i was like come on you know so in the new one rachel is much warmer much more believable oh yeah and you can totally like understand her side of the story and like, yeah i mean i think you could understand the sister thing in both aspects in both movies but this one you just felt for her a lot more like the new one yeah and uh, we're and we're not gonna spoil the only spoilers is that they just made it like 10 times scary like they they took what they were given and then just made it better (laughs) and like put suspenseful music and made like big like big thumps and sounds to scare you but at the same time i appreciate that there was never a cat jumping out at you because that's the easiest, um, you know, those jump scares that they do in movies now, always in PG-13 scary movies. There's always a cat who jumps out of nowhere to yeah. give you your first, <gasps> you know, yeah. um, you definitely have some jump scares, but yeah. it's not it's from not cat. the cat, which I thought was the obvious easy choice and they avoided that. Thank you. Yeah. They also in the new one included the cat a lot more. Mm-hmm. Like that, that cat kind of like directed him places. Also, in the the new one, they have like children wearing masks walking around, like basically doing a ritual for their pet. Yeah, and they don't super explain that enough. <laughs> like they don't explain that enough at all. Like why are these children in the woods with masks on? Like, like, obviously it's a ritual, but like, that's, that's creepy. Where are these, who are these kids? I felt like that was, and I Especially don't. Especially because it's in a secluded area, which is what I'm saying. Like, how are there kids here when there's like no one living here? Well, they live on 50,000 acres is what we learned. And so. Exactly. Where are these kids? And so they could come from any, they could come from anywhere. <laughs> there's no way you're, and they they don't even have the front of their house fenced in. You think they have the back end of the property fenced in? Heck no. Ex- but where are these kids coming from? <laughs> That's my question. Exactly. But I thought that the masks were probably something from the fifties. So you saw the it remake, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. So that scared me to death. That is the scariest movie that I have seen in the modern day. Like that really freaked me out. Um, and, and, but in that they had similar, you know, kind of like they would go, they would show 
they would show the town from a long time ago. And there was like also like kind of this ancient, you know, clown yeah. creepy imagery. And so my opinion With was in the past and what happened back then. Yeah. So I kind of thought it was the same, like kind of same thing where it was just, you could, the masks look old. So it's probably something that's just been handed down. That's been, you know, all these things we see now, like an old doll, there's nothing creepier than an old doll. But they don't put the ritual of the kids. They don't put that in the first one. No, I don't think it's in the book. Yeah. Um, I think this is part of what they added. I mean, they definitely took a diversion. They definitely diverted from the book and diverted from the the first film to create a new film, which I think is, I appreciate. I think it's brilliant. No, I think the movie is one billion times better than the first one. If you hadn't seen the first one, if you weren't familiar with it, it would be scary, but it's more scary if you've seen it or read the book. Well, the the only issue I had because I'd already seen the movie was like, I'm just like, ugh, can like, he die already? Like, can he die already? Who, can Judd? He, no, can can the kid like get hit by a car? Oh, right now? you're like, just, you're like, like time's a ticking. Yeah, I'm just like, because <laughs> I've already watched it, techn- I mean, kind of, but uh-huh. like, you know, we know the plot yeah yeah so you're just kind of like can you just well (laughs) you know and it was really great seeing john lithgow playing judd john lithgow is such an amazing actor and and that was one thing with this film with jason clark uh and and john lithgow you have really good actors playing the you know two of the key parts john lithgow is the dad pastor from footloose so you kind of still have that like '80s callback or whatever to to that film. Do you reckon? Do you remember? Do you recognize him at all from that? He plays Ariel's dad. You're talking about Judd, right? Yeah. Oh you, no. You don't see it at all. Okay. No, I know that actor from like plenty of other movies yeah. and TV shows, but not that. No. Yeah, that, oh. that's who he was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now Fred Gwynn, who played Judd in the original, did do a Maine accent because we do have relatives in Maine. We know a Maine accent, and mm-hmm. that was authentic. They didn't even try in this one. No one no. tried. No, no one tried. And I, I would rather you not try than to do it wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. But now, Jason Clark had a weird way of speaking because he's really Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen him in lots of movies. You can usually nail a, 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 an accent or a lack of it in this case. Um, yeah. But it, it just sounded weird at times. I, I felt a little like, uh, like yeah, he was he Like, he was working on it, but sometimes he wasn't totally paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, um, but the the actress who plays the daughter Ellie in the new one is awesome. Like she nailed it mm-hmm. pretty much. I mean, in the beginning, I was kind of like, eh, she's overacting. But again, she's also like ten years old. Yeah, so they can give her a pass. <laughs> so. I, yeah, um, I do want to point out that I think that there is a similarity in the '80s and now in the world of horror because the the '80s had. I mean, horror films were. Uh, uh, I mean, they, they really went through a renaissance, you know, in the 80s. The, the Friday the 13th franchise had really, um, was, was you know, in full bloom. We had Halloween. the Halloween franchise in full bloom. Um, and then, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. And there were so many good horror films that came from the 80s. And then I feel like we went through a period where they really weren't so good and we kind of forgot it. And it kind of, it fell out of vogue for a while because mm-hmm. they would just be so cheesy and low budget and everything. And now, 
um, there's, it just feels like there's this whole new movement to kind of reinvent the horror movie. I mean, Jordan Peele, what he's doing is amazing and Bloomhouse, they're finding new ways and that that we do have a lot of horror comedy and, and different nuances of it. And, and it's really fun. And so I thought that I, I love that they came back with this film they redid it as it should be. I was thinking about how George Lucas, you know, kept trying to fix his Star Wars movies after they were already done and he would go and re-edit. And you're like, no, 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 George, don't do that, you know? Yeah. But this is the way to do it. And and a lot of times reboots aren't good, as we've seen with a lot of films. <laughs> um, they don't always work. But this was an excellent... What they're doing so far with the Stephen King film seemed to be working, so I'm excited for more. Yeah. So what is wrong with your parents? That's that's a question. Well, you know, we look at it two different ways. We look at it as how can you look at films as time capsules and see what was going on um, sociologically, pop culturally at the time, and also how did it impact young audiences at the time. So um, I think what's fascinating about Pet Cemetery from 1989 is that Lewis and Rachel are the beginning of Gen X. They, um, they are young parents and they, and we start to see how parenting has shifted. Of course, what happened with Gen Xers is they were very resentful. They felt abandoned by their parents, um, as moms went off to work and and the divorce rate had skyrocketed and, um, you know, and they didn't feel that they got the attention they needed. Uh, and they, uh, we see parenting starting to change and you see that in Pet Cemetery. One, how, uh, both Rachel and Lewis take the kids out together to with Judd to go see the pet cemetery, to go explore the woods as a family. Uh, another thing is the whole reason they're in Maine is because Lewis, it, they're moving to slow down from their Chicago lifestyle. Um, they This is something that wasn't really going on before. Dads earned the money. Dads worked long hours. That was that. That's the way it was. And of course, you know, there were vacations and dads tried to spend time with their kids. But the idea that you would kind of reroute your career from being maybe a doctor, you know, on the fast track at a hospital and and, and working your way up or or who knows, or establishing a business in Chicago. Instead, he comes to a university where he's going to live on a farm and spend more time with his kids while they're young. Um, I, I think that was a very Gen X point of view. And you see the beginning of helicopter parenting as well. Um, again, I don't know why they didn't put a fence up, <laughs> but but we start to see that with with Rachel and Lewis. And what we start to see is this um, protectiveness that eventually um, becomes helicopter parenting as as time evolves. What I mean by that, the protectiveness is that. Rachel doesn't want her kids to know anything about death, and she obviously has her own reasons for that. But beyond it, it's the shielding that Gen X parents are known for doing, um, shielding them from the truth. The fact is that death has been a part of childhood from the beginning of time. I mean, kids probably had a sibling that didn't make it, at least one. That's why 
parents used to have so many kids. They needed them to help work on the farm, and they knew that some of them weren't going to make it. Um, and, and you know, or you had pets that died, or you you had to kill things for your dinner. I mean, that's just the way life was. So at this point in time, you know, now we're 1989. So we have some distance from the Vietnam War. Things have been good for a while. Um, we we don't worry so much about these kind of deaths coming up. And so now this shielding occurs. You know, for for Lewis as well, because he doesn't want Ellie to have to deal with the death of a pet. As far as how it impacted teens at the time, I think it is all of the horror films of the 80s. I mean, I, I know Poltergeist, for example, is a movie that I saw that scarred me. And you didn't even have to see the movie. The trailers that were playing on TV were scary enough. I mean, there was... A movie, um, oh, I can't think of the name of it right now, but they had creepy dolls. And they, you know, and I never saw the movie. I just saw the commercial and Piranha and things like that. And they were enough to just completely freak me out. But there were so many horror movies. And they, I just can't express, like, they are a part of culture. But, they, like, you know, there were movies, too, that were rated R and were more movies that grown-ups were watching. But still, we were aware of them, like The Shining, you know. Um, we also had films like The Howling, The Fog. I mean, this was, you know, I mean, horror really was at its peak at this time. And, and we saw all of them. Nightmare on Elm Street, when, the, when Freddy's tongue comes out of the phone. Like, another thing that totally traumatized me did not want to put a phone to my ear for so long even though i know it wasn't real even though i know it wasn't realistic i don't care like still completely scared me to death um it just really there was a lot of that going on and it was even like in the lost boys like i mentioned you know that was a that was one that was it was horror films were embedded a lot in everything and we were reading books like that you know yeah so i would say that is number i would say that's the main thing that i could pick out uh, of really how to understand gen x and how we were affected yeah you guys are definitely affected by that but now we are obsessed like my friend max whenever i go sleep over his house he's like can we watch a horror movie and i'm like no i want to watch a comedy like i want to laugh and he's like I want to be scared. But do you know what the power of horror movies are that has come about? I would say, I don't know if this was always true with these movies in the 80s. Like The Exorcist, I couldn't take The Exorcist, by the way. I could not take The Exorcist when I saw that when I was a teenager. Um, I mean, we were sitting in someone's house, and I was 15, and I had to leave. It It was too scary. Now the way they make horror movies... There is a power that you get when you watch it. And I think this is why teen girls are the biggest draw for horror films. Um, Because you are scared. But what happens, you know, all the things. Like when we started watching the movie and and when we started watching Pet Cemetery, And the little girl is wanders into the woods. And then we see her wandering into someone else's house. And what did you say? She needs to stop being stupid. (laughs) Right. But there's a power in that when you're an audience member. And you know... Why are you going in there? Don't go in that room. Why would you go in the basement? You know you just heard something scary in the basement. You're all alone. You know that the the, the report said that there was a, a psycho on the loose. Don't go into the basement. Like, we know that. And that makes us feel more powerful. And then when we get through the movie, um, we, we feel stronger for it. We feel like, huh, I survived that. It's just like a little psychological thing. And plus, while we're watching it, we like the idea of like holding hands with our friends and it's kind of a bonding experience yeah yeah yeah, i guess i think now all the horror movies are pretty much like 
any kind of um, genre of a movie. Like, they people don't specify them as much. Like, people are always like, yeah, I'm into horror movies. Yeah, I'm into comedies. Yeah, I'm into this. Yeah, I'm into that. It's just now, it's not like horror movies. It's like horror movies. <laughs> Scary movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and most of the time, what's really annoying about them now, which, um, well, I don't think it's annoying, but all my friends who watch horror movies do, they hate the parodies how many Scream movies there are, like, the fake ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, like, they're so dumb, and, like, all my friends that like horror movies, like, despise those things. Oh, really? Which I'm assuming Stephen King is, like, the exact same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I think the first one was great, and because it, it was so fresh, and, and we knew it. I mean, scary movies are different ball yeah. game, and those yeah. are just really stupid, and that's kind of their, their avenue, but, um... Uh, but I, I, I think the first scream was brilliant because it took all of the tropes of scary movies and laid it out while scaring you to death, yeah. you know, and it was fun. Um, the last thing I want to say about Pet Cemetery, though, is, and, and when you see the remake, this will confirm it. So I've, I've said in previous podcasts, we are, your generation is softer than us. Now, it's interesting because you guys had to deal with more as far as world events and scary things happening in life, like you know, mass shootings yeah. and uh, terrorists. We're softer emotionally for that reason. <laughs> and, but but also because parents became helicopter parents because of the lack of parenting that we got in the 80s. <laughs> um, and uh, as a result of that, everything in pop culture has changed and become more protective. You know, I mean, what we're you know, the idea of how millennials have safe spaces and all that. I mean, that's, that's all fine, but that's a result of this protectiveness that we have become, you know, the protective nature of our society now. And so, um, one thing that doesn't fly anymore, I think is the idea of having kids be killers, right? I mean, the hunger games, I know that's your generation. It was a little different, right? Because the adults put them up to it and it was about their survival, but there were a lot of movies where kids were killers. And in the 1989 pet cemetery, obviously to me, when you have a two year old being a killer to me, that was, that was too far. You know, and I, I actually questioned the parenting of the, of, of the actor who played Gage in the 1989 film that his parents put them, you know, put him in that movie. Uh, because now he'll always be the killer kid. You know? Yeah, but at killer the same baby. time. He's going to be made fun of his whole life and he's going to have that shadow hanging over him. What a horrible thing to do. Well, at the same time, that's probably why I wasn't very scared when he came out, because he was a two-year-old. It's like, you could literally just punt, kick him out of the house, and you'd be fine. <laughs> like, you, it's not that hard. I to- don't understand, in the 1989 movie, how he, how he, after he killed his mom, how she was hanging. Okay? He's two. He might have extra powers because he's a zombie, but... He's definitely not super, super He's strong. not tall enough to hang his mom... So you remember, like she's hanging. Yeah, and when and I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, well, in the in the remake, they have a lot of stuff that's mainly uh, imagination. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it could have been that, but I don't know if the old one was basing that either. Yeah, I mean, they had the whispers and they had you know your your usual creepy stuff. Yeah, that they add in and like the creaks and the you know. Well, I I think we like. You know, children are sort of conduits to horror because they're so innocent that 
we don't see it coming. So whether, and it's so shocking to our system. So with, whether it was the exorcist or the omen or um, children of the corn or Firestarter, I mean, these films where kids are the killers uh, and they're evil, you know, they, they shock us because we're not used to that. But I think now the way things have evolved, we prefer maybe seeing it like the sixth sense, right? Where the kid is, is our, we, we see it through his eyes. When we can see the horror through a child's eyes, we can experience that horror without it being another, without it being a child who's slicing and dicing. Yeah. So, by the way, Stephen King, I just, as I'm saying that, I realize because he's, he makes a lot of movies where kids are the killers, actually. <laughs> Maybe that was his dream. <laughs> that was, that was, yeah. Who knows? That that was his deal. Well, maybe he's the one who discovered that. I mean, there was the movie The Bad Seed that started this in the, I think, the 50s. Um, but, yeah, that was kind of his jam. Yeah. I think Chucky yeah. kind of plays into it. It's not a child, but it's like, it's like a child. Well, see, a it's a, right. It's like it's a, a doll. Uh-huh. But it's like a child at the same time. Right. So it's double horrifying because it's a doll and a child. Um, By the way. Who will cut you. (laughs) So the creepy, so creepy Rachel from 1989 went on to do the Child's Play movies. One thing I kind of wish in both movies they did with Rachel, um, or not Rachel, uh, her sister, is I wish they put in like... They put in a ton of flashbacks of when she had, when she was, like, dying or whatever. But they never gave any flashbacks of, like, her and her sister before that happened. Right. You know, because... Well, you're born with spina bifida, and that's also what I didn't know. Because in this version... Yeah, in this version, she pulls out a picture of her sister who just, it looks like a normal, like, uh, like, freshman year girl. or It kind of looks like senior photos outside, but, like, she looks like she's, like, a freshman or something. Right. And so, obviously, she was fine before that. And then they explain in both movies how she's like, I hated my sister. Like, she wanted, like, she she traumatized me, blah, blah. And I just want to know what happened before that all the traumatizing stuff happened. I I do as well, especially because now that we are a softer, more protective nation, uh... (laughs) I don't like to see people with disabilities made into villains. Yeah. And, you know, and for us to say you are a monster because you have this, this deformment. And maybe that's because, like I said, we don't, spina bifida doesn't come to fruition as much anymore because they're able to, to catch it. But, um, and maybe that's why they felt okay with going forward with it you know, in a major studio film. Yeah. I mean, they went for it in 1989. Well, in 1989, there was no political correctness. That wasn't even a word yet. So (laughs) people didn't even say that back then. Um, They would have no problem with that. All right. Well, I think we covered Pet Cemetery. (laughs) Both versions. I, we could not recommend more that you see the remake. Yeah. No, you got to see the remake. If you, if you saw the first one, you have to see the second, this one, because it is just so much better in like pretty much every way. All right. Well, I'm Tara McNamara. And I'm Riley Roberts. Thanks for listening to 80s Movies, A Guide to What's Wrong With Your Parents. Find us on iTunes or Stitcher or Blog Talk Radio and listen to more. Let us know what you think. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 80s Movie Guide. Mm-hmm. And check out our website, 80smovieguide.com. Thanks for listening. Don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.